We'll take our text this morning again from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. We'll look at just one verse, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. This morning, with the Lord's help, we'll consider the doctrine of divine healing. You know, I'm sure any time a subject like that is approached or considered, there may be questions in some people's minds that arise. Questions like, why doesn't the Lord heal everybody? Why do some seem to suffer more afflictions while others don't seem to suffer very much at all? Why do people die? Why do young people die? You know, these are all questions that have no answer. So it's probably not a good use of time to consider things that we don't have any answers for. But what we do know is that God is sovereign. We trust the Lord that He is in complete control. We know God doesn't make mistakes, and we know within God's divine plan, He has a plan and a purpose for every one of His children. Sometimes that purpose may include suffering or affliction. But again, we know God is sovereign, so some things we truly have to leave in the Lord's hands. We may not ever understand it on this earth. When we get to heaven, we'll have perfect understanding. As the song says, we'll understand it better by and by, but some of those questions we truly have to leave in the Lord's hands. But what I want us to consider this morning is what God has promised us. We can look at the provisions that the Lord has made for us in His Word and because of His atonement. And as we read there, one of those provisions through Christ's precious blood that was shed is the the atonement or the, the, the provision of divine healing. You know, it's helpful to understand where sickness comes from. We know that that was not part of God's original plan. After God created everything and says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, as he looked at his creation and he saw all that he created, he said it was very good. We know that didn't include any sickness or pain or suffering. We know those things were the result of sin and disobedience. You know, God gets blamed for a lot of awful things in the world today. But we must understand it was because of man's disobedience that sickness and disease and all of those things entered in. We know God doesn't cause it, but we do know at times the Lord does permit it. Because of the fall, even those who love and obey and serve the Lord faithfully are not immune to sickness or disease or affliction. But it's helpful to know what some of the causes of sickness may be or why the Lord does allow it. We can look into Scripture for those answers. Of course, as I mentioned, the fall of man was really the catalyst that set all of this into motion. But sometimes the Word of God lets us know. Not always, but at times sickness can be a punishment or a consequence of wrong actions. Again, that's not all the time, but often it can be the case. In Genesis 19.11, we read the account where it says, God smote the men of Sodom with blindness. 
It's almost as if God Himself imposed that punishment on them because of the vile wickedness they were about to commit. So God smote them with blindness. That was a direct punishment of their sin. We read of Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. You know, after uh, Naaman was healed, Gehazi went out and chased Elisha down and tried to receive a reward for his healing, the very thing that Elisha refused in. As he took it there, he lied about it. So we know the Bible says that that leprosy that Naaman was delivered from became Gehazi's leprosy till the day he died. So we can see uh, that was a punishment for sin and disobedience. We see other examples in the Word of God. You know, we see the results of this all around us. In the world we live today, we see many lives that have been destroyed and ruined by sin, by substance abuse, by immoral living, people that are promiscuous, they develop STDs, all kinds of diseases, and people that abuse drugs, uh, their bodies take a pay a tremendous price for that. So we can see some of these are a natural consequence of bad choices. It's like the man I hear about occasionally who smokes his entire life and he develops cancer and emphysema and decides to turn around and sue the tobacco company. Well... They might have been complicit or a part of it, but really it's, it's a result of poor choices, bad choices, and sinful choices. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard, so we know that. Though We reap what we sow, so sometimes there's consequences for sin, and those consequences can be sickness or infirmity. We also know the Word of God lets us know that some infirmities, some illnesses are simply a part of the aging process. Someone once said, aging seems to be the only way to live a long life. Well, it's true. We can't avoid that. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul said, Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Psalm 73.26, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Read in Genesis 48.10, it says that the eyes of Jacob or, or Israel were dim for age so that he could not see. So again, we see sometimes these sickness and these ailments or these afflictions are just a natural part of that aging process. We do have a scriptural mandate in God's Word as Christians. We want to take care of our bodies. 1 Corinthians tells us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Ghost. But he also commands us to glorify him in our bodies as well as in our spirits. So we do what we can. We try to take care of ourselves. We try to be responsible. That's just part of being a good steward of what God has given us. You know, God even gave the children of Israel certain dietary laws in the Old Testament. Those weren't just for their spiritual health but those were for their physical health as well. God saw that there were certain things that were unclean or weren't good for them, so he prohibited them from, from eating those things. So, so again, we have a responsibility to do what we can, but you know, inevitably, if the Lord tarries, we will all succumb to old age. That's just a natural part of the aging process. You know, I look around and I see some of our older saints And it is amazing. There truly is something to be said for good, clean Christian living. I think of one of our saints here this morning, Sister Dorothy. I hope I won't embarrass her, but she's almost 100 years old. 
And, you know, I talk to her from time to time, and she says, I don't know why I feel so good. Well, it's because she's living right. The Lord is blessing her and taking care of her. But we know eventually we all are going to succumb to old age. This in no way is indicative of a failure on anyone's part in a person's life. certainly doesn't mean a lack of faith at all, but we know that's just part of the natural aging process. The Lord gives us other reasons why He allows affliction. Tells us affliction can be a way of displaying God's power to others. In John chapter 9, we have that account of the man that was born blind. And as Jesus' disciples came upon that man, they made some assumptions. They said, well, who sinned? This man or his parents that he might be born blind? says, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the work of God should be manifest in him. So again, he wasn't saying this man didn't have any sin. We know everyone's born in sin and shaped in iniquity, but that wasn't the cause of his blindness. The whole reason that man was born that way was so that God could be glorified in his life. You know, we have the account in the book of Acts chapter 9. We read an account of a man who had palsy for eight years, and it says he was paralyzed. And as Peter uh, told him he was healed in the name of Jesus, it says that he arose immediately. And as a result, it says the entire cities of Lydda and Sauron turned toward the Lord. So we can see sometimes the Lord uses affliction as a way of displaying His power. You know, I think of the countless testimonies in our own church of entire families who came into this gospel as a result of an incredible healing or that they are a miraculous healing that they experienced or witnessed. I think of the testimony of Fred and Della Edmonds, and it's an amazing account. Sister Della told about when she was, they were living on a farm there in Kansas, and the Lord was prospering, and everything was going their way, but she developed tuberculosis and cancer, and the doctors gave her up to die. But there happened to be a neighbor that told him about the church in Portland that prayed for the sick. She said when they pray for the sick, people are healed. So she sent a letter to Portland, a request. That letter arrived in Portland during a camp meeting, and they gathered around that letter and prayed about that request. And here over a thousand miles away in the city of Kansas, the Lord came down and healed her completely, touched her in a moment of time. You know, at first, Fred, her husband, was skeptical, but he said, I watched her life, and I realized there was no denying it. God did something miraculous. Later, a few days later, she met him at the door, and she said, another miracle occurred. The Lord saved me in my kitchen this morning. The same God who healed her, she said, could save her, and the Lord did, and she lived a different life after that. For many years, uh, her husband would try to live a good life, and He realized he couldn't do it, but one day the Lord spoke to his heart. He said, out there in the middle of a large wheat field, he just got off his tractor and fell on his knees, called out to the Lord, and the Lord saved him and transformed his life. Shortly after that, their youngest daughter was afflicted, close to death. He said, for 23 days they prayed for her. And then on that 23rd day, he he saw the Lord come down and miraculously touch her. Rescue her from the jaws of death. Well, that's just one example of how God can sometimes use affliction to, to glorify Himself, to show us His power. You know, sometimes the Word of God tells us the Lord uses affliction as a way 
for spiritual refinement. Isaiah 48.10 says He chooses the furnace of affliction at times to refine us. Paul the Apostle spoke of it as a way of obtaining spiritual and eternal gain. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul speaks of our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He refers to them as light afflictions. Do you ever stop and consider some of the things Paul went through for the sake of the gospel? Shipwrecked on more than one occasion, beaten, stoned and left for dead, in perils of his countrymen, in perils of strangers, uh, imprisoned at times, physically sick. There was a time when they had to let him down in a basket over a wall because there was a mob that wanted to kill him. He went through many things for the sake of the gospel, but he said they were light afflictions. But for a moment, you know, really, no matter how long or prolonged it may be in the light of eternity, it truly is for just a moment. But Paul realized the Lord was using these things to work out a far more and exceeding and eternal way to glory. That's why I can say I reckon that the sufferings of this present world aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So we see there's different reasons why the Lord may allow affliction. But you know, we have a wonderful promise. Matter of fact, this is probably one of the greatest promises of all in God's Word. Actually, I shouldn't say that. They're all wonderful and great, but this one is especially beautiful. Psalm 34:19 tells us, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Out of them all. What a glorious promise. We see, of course, this promise is conditional. It's for those that are righteous. What is promised? A life of ease and comfort? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, Jesus promises just the opposite. He said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, but we see what is promised here. Victory and deliverance 100% of the time says he will deliver them out of them all. You know, we know as we live life, we realize sometimes that deliverance doesn't always come the way we hope or the way we even ask for. Sometimes, you know, the saints of God are delivered through death. But the Bible tells us that even in death, a child of God is victorious. It says death is swallowed up in victory. You know, the world does not have that promise. They don't have that hope. This is for those that are righteous, that have placed their faith and their trust and their confidence in the Lord. Sometimes we know this is the path that the Lord may choose for some, but thank God many times He chooses to deliver in this life. God has the power to do both. You know, we have requirements for healing given in God's Word. Of course, a desire to be healed along with a faith to believe that the Lord can heal. Those are two necessities for being healed. We know in the Bible, all who came to the Lord to be healed came in faith. We read Matthew 9.22 gives us an account of two blind men that approached Jesus. And Jesus asked him a question. He said, uh, what would you want that I do to you and are doing to you? And he says, believe ye that I'm able to do this. Of course, they responded by saying yes. They wanted the Lord to restore their sight. So they came to the Lord and they came 
in faith. And it says he touched their eyes and their eyes were open. He says, so according to thy faith, be it unto you. So we see they came, they wanted to be healed, they had a desire, and they came in faith. And the Lord honored that faith. We have an account of the Roman centurion came to the Lord and said his servant was sick, grievously tormented. And Jesus even offered to go with this man to his house to touch his servant. And I think of that man's response. He says, Lord, I'm not even worthy, not even worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and it'll be done. You know, Jesus marveled at that man's faith. He said, I haven't found any greater faith in all of Israel. But he said, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And the servant was healed that selfsame hour. So again, we see this man came with a desire and an expectancy, and he mixed it with faith. You know, we see too that that faith and desire has to be often accompanied by obedience. Obedience is a key ingredient in being healed. Naaman the leper, we know uh, he was commanded to go and dip in that Jordan River seven times. You know, the prophet could have spoke the word and waved his hand and the man could have been healed, but we know his healing wasn't complete till he followed through on the directions that God gave him. Once he did that, we know it says he came up that seventh time completely whole. We have the account again of the man that was born blind after Jesus had said he anointed his eyes with clay, told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he said he did and he came seeing. So we see, we see faith mixed with a desire and followed up with obedience. The ten lepers, as they approached the Lord and they called from a distance, Son of David, have mercy on us. And he told them, go, show yourself to the priest and you'll be cleansed of your leprosy. And it says, as they turned to go, they looked down and they realized the Lord had healed them, but it took action on their part. Jesus told the lame man to rise Take up your bed and walk. So we see there's always obedience involved. So we say the three main ingredients can be desire, faith, and obedience. We know the account, too, where Jesus came into his own country and has said he couldn't do many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Another portion of Scripture says that the Lord marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at the centurion's faith and his belief, yet we know unbelief has a negative effect. We can't expect the Lord to do anything if we don't believe that He is and He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We understand too that a lack of faith or, excuse me, a lack of healing doesn't always equate to a lack of faith. Not everyone is healed. We know some very righteous, godly people who had to suffer and endure long periods of affliction, but it was not in any way a lack of faith on their part. It was the path that the Lord happened to choose for them. We consider the account of the Apostle Paul, a man of great faith, a man of great power. But the Word of God tells us that he was given a, a thorn in the flesh. There's some speculation to what that could have been, but it was something that grieved Paul, and he sought the Lord three times to take it away, every time praying and asking in faith. But we know the Lord chose not to remove that thorn, but he told Paul why. He had a purpose for Paul having to go through that. First of all, he told Paul so that you won't become exalted or lifted up above measure. Second of all, that you'll realize my grace 
is sufficient for you. And you'll realize that my strength is perfect in your weakness. You know, once Paul submitted to God's plan, he was able to say, I'd rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. So there was a reason why Paul wasn't healed. It certainly wasn't a lack of faith. You know, the Word of God gives us further instructions of what to do when we're sick. You turn to the book of James, chapter 5. We read verses 13 through 15. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. You see here, the responsibility is replaced, is, is placed on the one who is sick. It says, let him call for the elders of the church. So that's an opportunity for that individual to exercise faith and to step out in obedience. It says that the ministers or the elders of the church will pray over him in the name of the Lord, anointing him with oil. You know, when we anoint somebody with oil, that there's nothing medicinal or magical about that oil. It's just pure virgin olive oil. You probably have some of it in your cupboard. There's nothing magical about that. But the power is in obeying what the Lord says. The power is in exercising that faith and standing on promises of God and, and doing it according to God's plan. That's where the power is. It says a pray, a prayer of faith. You know, when we anoint that sick one as ministers, we're supposed to exercise faith and pray in faith. They will be healed. But that individual also has a responsibility to pray in faith. You know, Brother Darrell once said, when we anoint the sick in prayer, we're not administering their last rites. We're not. We're praying in anticipation that the Lord will raise them up and the Lord will heal them. Oh, but we have some wonderful promises here. It tells us the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise them up. And if he's committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. That is God's word. That is a promise in God's word. And if you're willing to meet the conditions that God lays out, you can have that victory in your life. Even today, verse 16 of that same verse tells us, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we have to confess our faults, seek forgiveness when it's needed. And as we do that, the Lord will heal. You know, in these verses, not only do we see a promise for physical healing, but for salvation and spiritual healing. There's a far greater need than physical healing. That's spiritual healing and restoration. But here in these promises, we have both. And if we're willing to come again in faith and according to God's word, God will perform what he promised. You know, it's important to recognize, too, that as we speak about divine healing, you know, accepting or refusing medical care is not a Bible doctrine. That's a personal choice. 
No, the doctrine is divine healing. We stand on the Word of God and His promises, uh, not on personal choices. That is truly between every individual and God, but certainly uh, that doesn't show a lack of faith on the part of the believer. You know, when a Christian chooses medical care, that doesn't mean that he somehow abandoned his faith or his confidence in God. You know, in all the Scripture, I can only find one place where that was actually condemned. There may be a few other isolated cases, but I think about the one account of King Asa in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 2. It says, When he was afflicted, he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians, because he rejected the Lord and chose to seek help from man. Uh, that was what he was condemned for. Not the fact that he sought help from the physicians, but the fact that he had rejected the Lord. He refused to seek the Lord. And the Bible says that that man died from a disease in his feet that the Lord could have healed, but that was by his choice. You know, I've prayed with many saints as a minister and a pastor who have been in the hospital, some as they're awaiting surgery, some as they've come out of surgery in their recovery. And you know what? Never did they show a lack of faith. Not one time. They were looking to the Lord uh, to help and to heal. So we know, you know, God the Creator, He can work in conjunction with medical help or without it. We've seen the Lord do both. But in no way do we base our faith on personal choices. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, we read about her in Mark, it said she had suffered many things of many physicians, spent all she had, but she was nothing better but grew worse. You know, if it would have been wrong for her to seek medical help, certainly the Lord would have addressed that with her, but we don't hear one mention of that at all. It didn't make a bit of difference. What mattered was her faith. What mattered was she recognized the fact that even though she may have been beyond man's help, God could help her. The Lord could help her. So through, pay, through, through faith and, and perseverance, she pushed through that crowd. And we see the moment, it says the moment she touched the hem of his, garden, uh, his garment, it says that virtue went out of him and that issue of blood was dried up in a moment of time. You know, the Lord was able to do for her in an instant of time what the physicians and the help of man had failed to do for 12 long years. We see in this account that the Lord's help goes far beyond the help of man. We're so thankful for that. You know, being pronounced incurable by a doctor or a physician in no way diminishes God's power to heal. And again, many times when we've seen that, when the doctor may say there's, there's no hope, God is our hope. God is our refuge. God's our strength. God's power is not limited by man's diagnosis or opinions. With, with man, it's impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Thankful too, the Bible tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that healed these people in the Bible, the same God that uh, touched this woman with the issue of blood, it's the same God we serve today. That power is still available regardless of what your need may be. You know, there's one thing man cannot cure. With all the advancements in science and technology and in the medical profession, we know there's many things man can do to help cure diseases and things, but one thing man can never cure is sin. Only Jesus Christ can cure a life of sin. 
But we know the Bible says if anyone confesses faults, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, man can't cure a broken heart, but Jesus can. He said, I came to bind up the brokenhearted. That's a promise in God's Word. The Bible says the Lord is able to quicken those who are dead and trespasses and sins. Only the Lord can do that. And the Lord wants to do that. One thing you can be absolutely sure of, it is absolutely God's perfect will to save every unsaved person here this morning. The Bible says it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That power is available, that healing is available, but we must come in faith. We must come in humility and obedience. You know, there's something far worse than being sick or even dying in our, from a sickness. You know, if a person leaves this old world in an unsaved condition, they're forever damned to a lost eternity. What an awful place to be. What an awful condition. We know as Jesus healed that man by the pool of Bethesda, he said later he found that man and he told him, go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon thee. Oh, so God help us, you know. If you're unsaved, you're in a desperate condition this morning. But you're not beyond help. God can save you. God wants to save you. If you need a physical touch from the Lord, come in faith. Look to the Lord. Thank God for that atoning sacrifice. Uh, step out of faith. The Lord will help you this very day. You could be a new creature in Christ Jesus. You know what? The amazing thing is when you're saved... You'd be amazed at how many of these other issues may clear up all on their own. Let the Lord fix your heart first. God can do it, and the Lord can help you physically in every way. If you pray that prayer of faith, the Lord will help you. You won't be disappointed. Let's sing 505, These Altars Are Open.